Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. I'm Jace Broadhurst. Jace is our guest today for a special Bulgashichta Friday Night Lights double edition. Yes, we are always open to fly in at uh, no expense whatsoever, anybody coming through. So if, you're at, if you happen to be driving through our area and your car breaks down, you too can be part of it. Seriously, that's exactly what happened to me this time. I was like, you know what? I'm like 20 minutes away. Can we podcast? So if any this. of you are in a general geographic location, let us know. And you too can be part of Friday Bulls Kashishta. And we'll even do it on a different day. Yeah, I mean, we're open. I mean, and you brought a very nice beer. Did your son give you that? No, I got that with North Carolina. Oh, oh, you brought that from, that was the... Yeah. What was it called? It was the... uh, Gala Gale from the Highland Brewery in Asheville, North Carolina. And I want to say it's like a Smithwick's kind of a... Yeah, it's great. Now, if you you like Bill are someone that likes a good uh, craft beer, but you are not part of the hoppy craze... This is your beer. I this thought it was beer. excellent. It's that was great excellent. Yeah, boy, there we go. So any of you who are currently driving through uh, Western North Carolina, stop and get a case. Absolutely. Uh, this this next five minutes is brought to you by Highland Brewery. We actually, we have Asheville. listeners. I like Asheville. I was just Asheville's there a couple weeks ago. Asheville. Were you? Yeah. We my could. family's there. Oh, really? I should have stopped my by. My grandmother and, and my aunt. Yeah. We do have yeah. listeners in North Carolina. Yeah, Asheville's a great. Western North Carolina. I was in, I was in Hot Springs, North Carolina. I have a T-shirt from there that says "Hot Springs, North Carolina, where Mayberry and the Twilight Zone come together." You know that that's you know Bill Clinton when he did his famous speech at DNC he says, "I come from a place called Hope." Really, he actually came from a place called Hot Springs. Right. Mike Huckabee said he thought that would go different if he said, "Hi, I come from a place called Hot Springs." <laughs> it would have been a different story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Appalachian Trail goes right through there. It's a small towns, a little kind of it's a crossroads. Um, but a lot of great memories in Western North Carolina over the years. Spent 20 years doing mission work there, and um, just uh, it was fun to go back and vacation. So no, that you didn't spend 20 years doing mission work. No, 20. I mean, 20 summers, I should say. Okay, because no, that, 20. I mean, that's o- a long over the, uh, right. Over I was the, just trying to add up your let life. Let me be more specific. Over the course of 20 years, spent many a week down there doing different things. All right, I like that's, that. That's better. That's more so. We're just a couple minutes in. Before we roll into our topic, is there any anything you feel the need to comment on Bill or Chase? There's a lot going on. We often do a little current events commentary. Yeah, that's all on Bill. Sorry. Well, well, no, I will say uh, we talked about McCain earlier in the week, and uh, he came through. Uh, it was a profound courage, and I also my new favorite senator, Mikowski from Alaska, and uh, she won, and she has that seat. That's notable. She lost the primary she to a primary tea party, she a tea party. Got, and then won a write-in election. With that last name. And people spelled it right. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. would... Anyway, so there's... I, yeah, I like that. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea not to write major leg- legislation on the floor uh, while you're debating at 2 o'clock in the morning. So, <laughs> right, Bill actually stopped me from doing that at a presbytery meeting one time. I was shuffling papers. He was I like, did. I why did. don't you, you sit down and I'll just do this for you. And that was, you know, began a wonderful friendship. <laughs> that, that's actually true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not kidding. I mean, that's not a joke. That's, that's actually just exactly what happened. <laughs> well, we were standing side by side and, and you, you were, and you were uh, put up to speaking and I said, what are you going to say? And you, you showed me, I go, no, why don't you go? Why, why, why don't, why don't, <laughs> you don't yeah, want to I, 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 Yeah. Uh, this is not very time. No. But it was, yeah. Anyway. That was the time also. One time Bill and I were at the Presbyterian General Assembly and we were remarking on some things about an individual that we, I mean, I feel like we were not being uncharitable. We were saying some things that were honest about what, 
And the guy walked in the bar and Bill just looked at me and goes, God is judging us right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he might have been. And we bought him a drink. And he we did buy him a drink. <laughs> we did buy him a drink. Out of, out of our makes own up kill. for everything. This yeah. is the kind of guy that we'll wear to a job interview. Like, not that there's anything wrong with this, but like, you know, like an old blue suit, right? Like that, that it's hemmed about three inches too short with brown sneaker sort of shoes and white socks. Yeah. <laughs> This is the kind of guy that people who agreed with him avoided. Oh, Ooh, so, uh, Mark yeah. Oppenheimer says God is judging us right now. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> yeah, if he Mark, is, right. <laughs> Mark, it's it's quite possible. And by the way, I want in on that cocktail party. I'm sending my $72 in after we record this podcast. So. What else did Mark say? <laughs> what do you have against brown shoes, white socks? You fucking bitch. No, <laughs> Mark, Mark Oppenheimer would never wear that. I'll tell you that right now. He's, he's a sartorial fellow. Oh, well, good. I, I, uh, yeah, he's a model for all of us in how we dress. Yeah. By the way, Mark, he criticizes the way I dress all the time. So, any rate, nonetheless. I know. Well, it's a T-shirt and shorts. Well, Mark, is... Mark, thank you. I feel like you're a guest. It's like a Facebook guest. It's, <laughs> it's a dignitary. He's. Uh, what is Mark also saying? I got to get closer to the screen. Who's that there with you? That's Bill Bohr, my co-host regularly, and then Jace Broadhurst, who it would be a great guest on Orthodox. Jace has a great story to tell. He's a pastor and and from Maryland and has many Washington dignitaries in his congregation and knows a lot of scandals and secrets and gossip, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I can BS with the best of them, just like this group here. Mark said he's going to throw us off our game for the next eight minutes. So That's Okay, good. we're all right. We're, all right. So, Mark, what we're going to talk about is hermeneutics. Oh, hi, Bill and Jace. It's Jace, not Chase. I'm going to get on the iPad so I don't have to keep looking at Mark. But, Mark, we're talking about the hermeneutical challenge. How do people um, engage sacred texts, the Bible, the Torah, the Tanakh, the Quran, for some people, Harry Potter, and deal with... There's a Harry Potter... And deal with... How do you deal with a... With with problems when when you're living between you know your head and your heart and your soul, right? Yeah, and also the fact is, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of antagonism among within religious groups. Mark just said that your mother is my hermeneutical challenge. <laughs> <laughs> he really so, is going to throw us off. So we hand. really <laughs> we really went right to the mom jokes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Tom, we don't want to get there. I worked with Urban Kids for years. I, uh, I've got a lot in my back pocket on oh, that. Oh, you're in trouble. Only, only, only about five percent I can share online. But at any rate, yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody else said hermeneutics. I hardly knew her. Boom, <laughs> Anthony Wick. There we go. Nice. So this actually is a, probably a pretty appropriate Friday conversation about hermeneutics. I guess so. But yeah. Chase, you're looking to write a book on this, and you came up here to talk about some book ideas. So because... than wasting your gas and your time. Uh, what exactly, what is your audience and what do you, why do you think this book needs to be written? Yeah, so the audience would be evangelicals in the pew. Um, so we've got academics here around the table, but I can't read it. So Scott, you're going to have to keep reading those things if we want to. This will be a fun edit for you, Scott. Mark, this will not be edited. <laughs> the whole thing is going in. That's why we call it Bullsgeschichte. Liel Leibowitz should join in. If Liel comes in, I will buy him two bottles of Dad's Hat whiskey. Text him right now. If he jumps in on this, I will buy him two bottles of whiskey for just a, a comment. Proved that he was here. Okay. That, by the way, that offer does not that go for the rest of you. We no. Have, yeah. No one else gets a bottle of whiskey. We don't, we don't have that kind of money yet. <laughs> um, but anyway. So. Yeah. So evangelicals in the pew, um, those people who really love the Bible, really love Jesus, and 
honestly, I've never had the time to read or um, to invest in any kind of study. So I'm talking about something very simple. I'm talking about something simpler than uh, R.C. Sproul's Knowing Scripture. Maybe not simpler, but um, in the same in the, the same, same genre thing. as that. Yeah. 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 Let me tell you, I'm the only one in the room of three. So 33%. I'm a third that does not like that book. So I'm just well, saying. I mean, I liked it when I, I don't hate it. I liked it when I, I was don't. 18. Yeah. I read it when I was 18. Exactly. That's, yeah. yeah. We're not yeah. talking about something right now that's helpful to us. We're talking about something that, that helps somebody in their very beginning stages. And that's, that's what I want. I want someone who's not afraid of the. So half of my congregation is probably afraid to read seriously the Bible. They read it very devotionally, which is wonderful, but they're not reading it. They, they don't have enough information well, out there. So is that, do you think that they're afraid to read it because they just don't feel like they have the tools to, to address it? Or is it is it because it's a sacred text that only experts need to read? Uh, what, what, what prevents them from engaging? Bad them? cover art? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I th- maybe, I should, maybe I should rephrase. I think they read the Bible, um, but they're reading, it, they're reading it quickly, and they're reading it to get what they want to get out of uh, it generally. Right. I'm afraid that they don't really know how to read it. That's right. what I'm trying to say. I would say left to right, unless it's in Hebrew, then it's yeah. right to left. Yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. Good that, call. That's, and that's actually one of the few jokes we used in rehearsal. That joke, yeah. Made it into the cut. Uh, made it in the cut, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the cutting room. You know, one of the things I find when I'm, because um, I've spent you know, my entire career trying to just you know, help people of faith think critically about their faith, but, you know, be reengaged with biblical text, you know, because what I found when I started this out, you know, I found that mainline people didn't know the Bible, okay, which that was kind of a given, right? right? People in your mainline churches, you know, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists, Episcopalians. Then, you know, when I was teaching at a Baptist seminary, it was an American Baptist seminary, but still it was a Baptist seminary, and a lot of Pentecostals, independents, as well as Baptists, and they didn't know their Bible. And so, really, in a generation— People who traditionally were kind of guardians of the book, if you would. Um, it, and I think there's been even research, you know, about the current widespread support of evangelical support for Donald Trump. But there's an awful lot of people who identify as evangelicals who really don't spend any time in the basic um, text that kind of defined it. You know, that the evangelical movement in part was defined by being people of the book and people who emphasize. But when you say that, okay, so on one level you're saying some Trump supporters, but so you're talking people that maybe would say they're conservative Christians and, and aren't regularly. People identify with it culturally. Right. But I, but I think, Chase, you're saying actually people that show up three, four Sundays a month that think anybody that doesn't pray the sinner's prayer is going to hell. Maybe they don't even believe in evolution. These things, they're not even reading the Bible. Or, well, I mean, that's true. So 50% of the people aren't reading the Bible at all. That's not Could really you just comment on Facebook, like, if you have read the Bible in the past week, can you just say, yes, I've read it? This Just any of our listeners, if you've read the Bible, this is going to really, this is a real piety test, Bill. <laughs> Has anybody read the Bible? You should put everybody, close your eyes and put your Liberal hands down. Cl- exactly. Just raise your hands. No one's looking. That's a different thing, yeah. I do think it's not just about people not reading the Bible. See, I would say at least fifty percent of my congregation also. Somebody reads. has said nope. Somebody just said somebody said they haven't read the Bible. They read the Bible. We have one yes, one no. <laughs> <laughs> they read the Bible um, even academically in their own mind, right? So right, they're doing okay. precept studies. They're doing Beth Moore. They're doing things that 
that they have to spend an hour a day in the Bible, but they don't. They're not coming to it with, I, I think, even a portion of the right tools. They're, right. So, that, so they're uh, there's still a great ignorance on what the Bible is for. Right. What the, you know, you were talking about timeliness and yeah. timelessness, and we don't need to get into all that stuff. But, but they're reading this propositional truth, uh, a guide to living. You know, seven steps to help me. You know, <clears throat> you know. Uh, you know, seven ways Hezekiah can show me how to, you know, have better hair or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of that kind of... Do we know if Hezekiah had hair? Uh, <laughs> and that even after they've done what they can consider to be great exegesis, where they've done a Greek word study, where they've gone right. back and they found these kinds of things, they bring him in there and then they still want to see, okay, so they're still taking it in, I think, not yeah. the... Not yeah. the appropriate so you're direction. criticizing people that have enough time and devotion to do a Greek word study and then... It's Make it personal to their own lives. Oh yeah, what shitty congregants you have! <laughs> this, hey, listen, this was you not... all, you all doing Greek word study when you could be watching pornography or oh, or Game of Thrones, which you know Bill and I are both big fans of, or whatever, or just idly passing your time, degrade, making mean comments on Facebook. Somebody please put something on fa- on here that tells him to be quiet. Um, <laughs> We're taking a quick break from our conversation with Chase Broadhurst about hermeneutics to ask you a question which you can interpret as you will. Do you like this podcast? Do you love it? Do you just listen to it to shout at us? But do you want it to keep going? If so, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. If you do, whatever your motivation, we will read your name out on the thank you roll call, which will begin right now. Thank you, Peter Stegenwald. Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan Morseberger, and Josh Redder. Thank you all for being my Patreon sponsors. If you want to sponsor this podcast and help keep this content that you enjoy coming out, please just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. And there you can find information about how to give. If you give just five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on this podcast and help develop some future podcast projects that will be unfolding in the future. Thanks again to sponsors. And please, if you like this podcast, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. And now back to Jace Broadhurst and Hermeneutics. Um, <laughs> this is not to By the way, Mar- I just own. want to say Mary Long joined in. I want to say hi to Mary. Mary's a friend of the show. Hi, Mary. <laughs> hey, Mary. This is not to denigrate my congregation or any other congregations like it. I think I've got one of the greatest in the world. And I'm glad they're doing precept studies. Who's I'm better? You said one of who's better. <sighs> I don't know. Um, maybe Bill's is better. Is yours better? We have a lovely kind. We don't think of ourselves as better than anybody because we're saved by grace. Oh, well, I do. And, ours, ours and is Scott's better. the pastor. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, mine's better than yours. So <laughs> that might be true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been to yours. Yeah, that's better. good. All right. Nonetheless. No, okay. I like his too. Uh, my point is this is not to denigrate these people. <laughs> so I'm trying to get to. It's to say... That there's just not enough information. They're, they're not taking the time. Of course, they, they don't know where to get this information. Right. They're not reading, um, I, I don't know, Tom Wright even or Dunn or right. – so it's not a fault of theirs. It's many times we were having this conversation. Earlier. It's their pastor's fault. It's their, well, and I'm trying to I'm trying to help rectify that a little bit. Give a little bit more information, just some basic things that – so when we have the conversations, when I teach things – they're on the same basic page. They know that yeah. there is, you know, they know there's an ancient Near Eastern worldview. They know what A N E stands for, right? They know that there are A N E. They do second, the Walking Dead. Yes, ancient Near East. Yes, go on. They they know Second now Temple. You, they know the way Second Temple. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> distracted easily. Yeah, so they, they know Second Temple Judaism. They have a clue what's going on with that. They know that there's more than one Adam and Eve, right? They know that there's more than one Ark story, that there's, right. there's other conversations to be had that aren't just how do I live my life or – or even historic, you know, finding something about the history of Jeremiah or Hezekiah's hair or whatever you were talking right. about. Well, you know, and you and I were talking before. I mean, uh, it's happened several churches I've worked at. People have come up to me. Can you do a class on how you read the Bible? Because you're That's getting, what this is. Yes. You're getting stuff out of there that I'm not seeing or I've not heard before. Right. Or you're raising different possibilities than I was taught was authoritative. So I think, you know— I mean, again, let's get back to, you know, I think one of the worst things ever invented, for instance, was the Amplified Bible. For those of you who never have, if you have one, burn I love it, those brackets. Burn it. But it was this idea that, uh, the idea behind the Amplified Bible, that it was going to put in the verse every possible meaning of a different word. Well, what that turned out was people took whatever word meaning they, they liked the and went, and went sure. with it. I mean, I think some of the Greek studies and things that are available online is a little bit like WebMD. You know? right. My wife yes. hates WebMD. As a medical <laughs> As profession, a nurse, yeah. Nice. yeah. Now, for instance, you know, it's not – occasionally it's not a bad thing to get a little more insight in, mm -hmm. but that doesn't make you a medical professional. So I think part of it is how do we – It could make you a hypochondriac. <laughs> it does. Oh, trust me. I've been around those folks. So how do we help people think a little – you know, approach the text in a little more informed and critical way? That help itself, the critical in the, in the good sense, in terms of how can I maybe get a little closer to what's going on here? And is there a way that I can go a next step deeper uh, and not be led astray by the biases of my, even my study Bible I'm reading, realizing that all those inspired notes are not? You know? <laughs> so, how do I, you know, how do I have a better handle on reading this book that we say is a central, of central importance to our life? That is. That is the question. It's a million dollar question. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Can I feel that? Yes. Uh, I think that actually the only reason the intellectual thing is an issue or problem is if it's existential. So I think lots of people, I was telling Jace this earlier, that somebody, I had a friend who was working on a master's thesis in philosophy on freedom and determinism and consciousness. And he said, you know, what are your views on these things? I said, I'm pretty much a lazy, unreflective compatibilist. <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't think that, it, you know, if God exists, that that's a problem for freedom. And I just play some intellectual games and I just, I go to bed, fine. Like, so I think most of us have walk around with tons of cognitive. intellectual halfway houses to prevent cognitive dissonance because right. the brain doesn't work well in cognitive dissonance. Right. But every psychologist would tell us dissonance is a real problem. It's anxiety provoking. It's cause, so I think if people are convinced that the story of the Bible is the story of their lives, now, if, if they see the messiness and complexity in the Bible as reflecting, you know, the complex world they live in, it, then I think you, you've opened the door there. And I think actually the person I think that is doing this the best that I've listened to of late is Rob Bell. Like I've listened to his podcast since I interviewed him and I, he does a great job about, you know, in, in regard to making the Bible not a text that's merely devotional, uh, but it's deeply personal without being private and yet talks to deep issues of empire and environment and things like that. And also talks about the deep issues of the need for grace in a consumer culture where no one feels like they're enough. And I think on some level, I think the intellectual stuff is like, like 
getting over those issues are an issue for a subset of people who are scientists are, and that's important. I mean, like, you know, or who are in certain intellectual cosmopolitan circles where they have to negotiate these things. But I think like the, that people, if they feel like this is part of their own story in the deepest and best sense, then they make room for ambiguity, like you do with a friend or you do, you know, with with family members that you actually think are decent and you can stand. Uh, you know, you, you that's what we do. We, we make space for ambiguity, ambivalence and messiness. And I think that's I mean, that somehow I think would be the first yeah. step. OK, so how do you get there? Because I don't no no one in my congregation would like what you, you have saying. gotten there because I sat in a meeting with your elders and you are the worst pastor in the world for actually letting me meet with your elders. But I remember they, they <laughs> one true. of your elders said, you haven't done that, have you, one of your elders, oh, <laughs> never let me do that. Uh, and rightly so. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't take an invitation to be with her. Right? Like, uh, but I remember, wow. so, so you were, uh, and that's to protect them from me. But uh, <laughs> you, one of the guys this. at the table was talking about how Tim Keller was a problem because he didn't believe in a young earth creation. And I said, I looked at him. In the restaurant with that Chinese buffet, I think, or something. And I looked at him, I said, well, Pastor Jace doesn't believe in that. And he said, well, that's different with Pastor Jace. Oh, Pastor Jace, that's different. And so he already adjusted. Like, he already was in a, a move of, okay, now I have to deal with ambiguity because Tim Keller is an icon. He's a figure in social media. He's, we well, we say on this podcast, he shall not be named. <laughs> but, but, for, but, that's it. but then when it got personal... His hermeneutic could bend. All of a sudden, what was safe and what was okay because you're a good pastor and you love him and you love his family and he believes, you know, in in who you are. And I, I've seen your church. I mean, I I get that. Like you, my wife and I have have great times worshiping with you. And so I think some of that stuff, everything is emotional and psychological. That's my final thought. So the key to hermeneutics is relations, relation, relationship. relationships. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's good to read some books too. <laughs> So that pretty much bombs my whole idea of the book, though. I mean, because you can't well, be relational in that unless you tell stories along with it, which... Yeah, no, I think, actually, I, but I think there is a category of people who are looking for deeper things. You know, there are people who want to have, who want to go to the next step. I mean, and it's not just merely scientists, but people, you know, I, I've seen in every congregation I've been in, people who wanted to have a more thoughtful approach to the text. And some of those people were lawyers, but some of them were, you know, auto mechanics. Mm -hmm. So, oh, yeah, I see yeah, that in my congregation. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, yeah. so I think there's a sense there's some people who, who it's important for them to grow uh, with their mind in, in these things. I mean, I do think we're in a very relational, emotive, psychological age. Those things drive the machine a lot. But I think there's also an opportunity to have people, you know, one of them, for here, for instance, one of the things I always approach to my church is now, other churches, but because uh, we don't have a lot of young people in the church I'm in right now, we're we're getting some. But <clears throat> I always wanted before my kids went to college, I wanted them the toughest questions that they ever heard raised. I wanted them to hear in the context of church, not in school. Yeah, exactly. In other words, I wanted them. I wanted some of the important intellectual, existential, historical, philosophical questions raised in the context of their church community, in part because... Did you ever ask why Coke changed his formula? Because that's the I never biggest did question. Because the they're getting rid of Coke Zero now. I did see that, yes. I did not but care about that. I wanted to kind of reclaim the idea of church being a place where there is intellectual talks going on. There's intellectual... It's a place that there's intellectual rigor as part of the faith. Yep. Uh, that you don't have to be afraid 
of uh, there aren't any questions out there that are prepared to destroy everything you've ever believed in. That doesn't mean there aren't hard questions, existential faith questions, but I always wanted to demonstrate that we, we can ask them here. In other words, you this is a safe place to talk about anything. That's why we modeled that, whether it be about human sexuality, whether it be science. See, that, those are two different things. I think intellectual rigor, and this is a place where we can ask questions, and also it's okay if we can't figure out the answers. That's Because I'll tell you, there's no more intellectually rigorous place than Westminster Seminary on one level, right? The language requirements are tougher right. than they have at Princeton. Uh, they, they probably a- assign more pages per class and things like that. So there's a sense in which, like, if you're talking, if, if intellectual rigor is demanding intellectual tasks, that I mean, I could I can think of all manner of places that do that. Sure. That actually, but there's no room for. Questions. Something like ambiguity or a real uh, open-ended journey where the the conclusions aren't assumed at the beginning. Right. I wasn't when I was not. I was not speaking of a of indoctrinating, or there was a particular formula we were using that people had to adhere to. No, I'm not saying you were saying that, but I just think when we say that, mm-hmm. that's very easy. As I'm listening, to confused. Well, intellectual rigor, like. Well, Archer's intellectually rigorous. I mean, our pastor talks, quotes Greek from the Bible. Like, that's a very different thing. Everybody takes notes. Right, exactly. That's a very, my wife would say she grew up in that kind of context where it's it's It's, very. At least appeared to be that. Yeah. But you come up with answers there. Well, it's basically the answers. There's blanks on the paper, but they are going to give you, there's only one answer to those blanks. You fill in those blanks, yeah. So, but I I mean, there's a sense to the idea of, for me, part of what all I'm saying is there are people in congregations who are hungry for the exact same thing that you're asking. And I mean, again, it might not be everybody, but I always thought, you know, offering people opportunities, um, and again, it depends on the size of church you have and how, you know, how much, you know, time you have. I've said it once, I'll say it again, size matters. There we go. But trying to model uh, an opportunity for there to be thoughtful approach to the text that's not afraid of science or newspaper or politics or whatever, I think. And part of that comes from learning the tools that you're trying to talk about teaching folks. Yeah. Well, that's good. All right. So there is, there is a book project here is what you're saying. There's definitely a book project. I think there is. Yeah. I I even think there's maybe a couple of projects here, particularly if you're going to make them be available as a way of kind of helping people, um, you know, stick their toe in the water in this stuff. I mean, that's part of what you're talking about, kind of a primer. Very basic. And I also think, frankly, uh, you've got churches full of pastors who don't go to seminary anymore. Right. And seminaries are closing down. So the fact is this, uh, we are not becoming a better informed Christian movement right now. And, um, and I think that, um, I think there's, there's a lot of problems. And so they're going to, there's going to be even a greater need for these kind of primers for people who, who may be leading congregations because there's no one else there to do it. So how do you begin the question? How do you begin to, move people towards that possibility of ambiguity. How, you know, I, I've been in the same congregation for almost 11 years now, and we're slowly moving in that direction, I guess. Yeah. But th- there's a lot of certainty, especially in my kind of evangelical, almost fundamentalist, not not really, but, um, but very, you know, we know the answers right. to things, and we're not going to think outside of that world. We, we're willing to move a little bit, but still in the same stream. Right. It, and there's no, there's no offshoots to that. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get, like, what does the person in the pew, what are they willing to do? How can I take them just a few steps in without? Well, you took that, you took that elder many steps in. 
Yeah. But yeah. I mean, obviously these are elders. They've, they've spent a little bit more time there, hopefully a little bit more wise, a little more mature, a little more thoughtful. I, you know, I, 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 I think I'll just, I mean, I never, I think I've tried to do that in every place I've been and I do it by preaching the biblical text each week. Right. I mean, so, you know, in other words, for instance, so if, if I'm, if I'm pointing out the biblical text says something that shatters their certainty, which it does. Right. <laughs> in other words, every ideology that's brought, you know, to Christianity gets shattered somewhere in the, in the scriptures. Yeah, it's disruptive for sure. Yeah. So I, I think in some levels, I just, you know, let the text be disrupted. I mean, I think let the work of the text. And, you know, I, I've even remember telling students this, you know, you can have your own political positions or whatever positions you have. But your job isn't to convert them to a particular ideology. But if you just give them the words of Jesus and you try to live those out, then you're, you'll have plenty, uh, you'll have plenty of radical things to do. If you just kind of take the word of Jesus here, don't even, you know, it may take you years to get to Jesus. Just work on some of the Hebrew prophets and try to live some of that stuff out. So I do think the disruptive nature of, of this biblical text themselves and, and helping people even, for me, the narratives, the, you know, the, the gospel narratives, we talked about this before. I can't remember who, maybe this was, uh, Jim Edwards said this years ago. Uh, I think he's still teaching at Whitworth, but he said one time in a class that in the gospel stories, if you're identifying with Jesus in the stories, then you're getting it wrong. Right. Cause, cause that's not, that's not where the punchline is. And so I just think in terms of having people see themselves in, you know, in the very people that Jesus was, Trying, I, he was critical of them because he was trying to change them, help them to see things. So, uh, I mean, even we've talked about you know deconstructing the prodigal son story. I mean, there's a lot of you know uh, Henry Nouwen's done, other people have done it. It's uh, you know we've talked about it on this podcast. You know, this idea that people are finally realizing that just because we called it the parable of the prodigal son, that's not what Jesus maybe was talking about. I mean, where it's as much about the older brother and as the father as well. So helping people begin to identify properly, I think, you know, so the, I mean, in some levels, if you're being faithful to the text, which I know you are, um, that kind of disruption is happening just by engaging with the text itself. And I think to me, renewal in the congregation, you know, intellectual as well as spiritual renewal in congregations is getting people back to taking the text seriously and let the text, you know, have its way with all of our ideologies. I mean, I was with the church last night, and they're, they're struggling to know what they're supposed to do next. And I said to them, how about you love God, love your neighbor, and uh, share the love you have with each other with anyone who comes across your path? It seems excessive. It probably was. Uh, they wanted a program, but that's what I gave them. Yeah, I also think, like, on on one level, like, the levels of practical atheism that we all deal with just because yeah. you gotta like live your life and you know life happens quickly and in rapid response but it was um and in the word of god word of man um you know by carl bart which is actually the german title right is uh it's actually something like the word of god in theology but um he talks about our inability like people's inability to like engage the bible because we look for ourselves there. Some of what you're saying, right? And, and we find God, and that's the problem. He says that here we find ourselves faced once more by the question of faith, but without anticipating our answer to it, we may rest assured that in the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testaments, the theme is, so to speak, the religion of God, and never once the religion of the Jews or Christians or heathen. That in this respect, as in others, the Bible lifts us out of the old atmosphere of man 
to the open portals of a new world, the world of God. And I, I think that that, like, if, if we really, maybe that's the most radical thing anybody could do, that, like, actually, when people, we convince people that there is a God, and that, that that God may speak through the words of Scripture once in a while. I think that would do go a long way to displacing closed-mindedness and a kind of intuition that can't imagine that the sacred text would sort of be arresting and scary and weird and, and, and at the same time in all of that still be comforting okay so you're saying the first the, the front matter of my book is convince someone that there's a god is that, is that what you're doing is that yeah a- atheism is a big okay. problem <laughs> <laughs> oh, for Christians. Be, I mean, not for the world. I'm saying for Christians, atheism is a problem. Actually, that's a pretty provocative chapter, how we all are atheists. Yeah. And what does it mean that even though we say we believe in God, the parts in our lives that are practical atheists? And I think that comes through in a lot of ways. People's relationship with the Bible may be one of the great barometers of how atheistic we are. Because, you know, in terms of, yeah. yeah, I mean, taking how seriously do we take it? Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So that might be where you, not just are you an atheist, but do you, you know, uh, what does it mean? What do you have to leave at, you know, you know, God told Moses to take off your shoes, you know. So what do you have to take off before you actually, and you know, what do you have to leave behind if you actually really property. want to engage in this in this text? Yeah. And I think, you know, to me, there's kind of, the, the like Hebrew that. scriptures are great this way, and the rabbis talk about this all the time, because there are times where we do, it's appropriate for us to bring a boldness to the text. In other words, you know, when uh, Abraham confronts God uh, before, uh, you know, when he finds out about Sodom and Gomorrah, will the God of the just act unjustly? Mm-hmm. So there are times where we can kind of run with the horses when it, uh, I know I'm mixing my biblical metaphors here, but where we can really, you know, boldly kind of take our ideas because we were created in the image of God and we we're kind of put out there to wrestle and struggle and look at this text from all different ways. But there are plenty of places, both in the Hebrew scriptures as well as the New Testament, where God silences that. There's places where God invites it, and then there's places where, you know, I mean, in the sense where um, it's a difficult text, but following that opportunity where God listens to Abraham, you know, Abraham says, you know, you, you know, you can't do what you're about to do, and God says, okay. And so then Abraham, you know, they go through that negotiation but a few chapters later, God says, take your son and go to the mount. So there's points where the text, as well as life, shatter our, our, our ability to manage God. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I think the biblical text invites us to both those exercises. Yeah, I think the, the, the life of faith is somehow being open to both parts of that dance, you know, to be bold. And then to be ready to be humiliated and humbled as well. Yeah, and the scariest thing about reading the Bible, the scariest prospect is that you might encounter God. And that, that's so often the least of which most of our religiosity well, is centered are, around, are, right? Like, Or you'll encounter the other God. The right, God right, right, you, right, right, exactly. I mean, yeah. so much, you know, like what was Bart say, all religion is unbelief, especially in including Christianity. And so, so much of what we do in sacred spaces with venerable traditions that are respectable and important is the furthest thing from the you know the the god of abraham isaac and jacob that's good holly came from miami fla 
hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." Said, "Hey, honey, take a walk on the wild side." She was everybody's darling, but she never lost her head. Even when she was given head, she says, "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." Said, "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." And the colored girls go do 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 Gave it away. Everybody had to pay and pay. A hustle here and a hustle there. New York City is the place where they said, "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." I said, "Hey, Joe, take a walk on the wild side." Sugar Plum Fairy came and hit the streets, looking for soul food and a place to eat. Went to the Apollo. You should have seen him go, go, go. They said, "Hey, Sugar, take a walk on the wild side." I said, "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." All right. Ha. Is just speeding away. Thought she was James Dean for a day. Then I guess she had to crash. Valium would have helped that patch. I said, Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. I said, Hey, honey, take a walk on the wild side. And the colored girls say, Do 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 do